You're listening to Addicted to Growth. Join us each week as we sit down with sales, marketing, and revenue leaders on the front lines of innovation. New insights, new playbooks, new tech, new lessons. Step forward into growth and development or backwards into safety and security. The choice is yours. Let's get into the show. All right. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Addicted to Growth Show. Uh, today, we're here with Apri Blankenship, who is the Sales Enablement Program Manager over at Monday.com. So, Apri, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. So, we got to chat a couple weeks ago uh, on Building the Modern Revenue Team uh, series, which was super, super awesome. Um, so, today, we'd love to do a little bit of follow-up, dive into a couple other topics, but... Um, before we do that, just give us a quick 30-second intro overview of, of who you are uh, and what you're all about. Awesome. Um, again, thanks for having me. Definitely excited to be here, but a pre-blankenship. Um, currently in Atlanta, Georgia, back home, um, work for monday.com. I'm actually in my fourth month, so started um, actually not even having met anyone at the company um, in person. And I am, we're a small lean team of, of five people, but I'm predominantly focused on really building out um, enablement programs to um, onboard our staff, as well as focused on continued education uh, and kind of any type of programs that are going to optimize the sales team um, to accelerate and hit their objectives. Amazing. So I think that's really interesting that you've never actually met anybody on your team, which is, it's, you know, you think about it, and especially for those who are, are so used to, you know, being in an office five days a week or even a few times a week, like it's just, it's something I think was, was really, it was normal, right? Like it was something that you took for granted potentially. Um, and I think a, I think a skill set that is sort of now being brought to, you know, to the surface is this ability to build these human connections, right? And there's, you know, there's so much to be said about, you know, under learning and meeting different people within your organization, even if they're in departments that aren't directly correlated or impacted by yours. Are there, are there anything that, anything that you're doing that's, you know, helping forge and build those relationships while being super remote? Yes. So I think at a high level, um, I think these are things that most companies are either attempting to do or are going to start doing. And those are the the ha weekly happy hours or monthly happy hours. Um, I think something that is unique and that we do specifically at monday.com is taking it a step further. And so we'll receive a box and it's themed. So even for, um, you know, the other day we did a trivia night. And so there was a little card in there, um, you know, with obviously our logo, but then there was a, a glass and a, and a drink recipe. So there's an element of where we're creating and doing things together. And I think even just receiving something tangible um, from a company, whether it includes swag, but then also allows you to be creative together um, in your home or wherever you're at, like it's kind of taking that extra step further. And who doesn't 
like getting a little happy in the mail. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's brilliant. I don't, I get yeah. so, I get more excited about that, those boxes than my Amazon boxes because every <laughs> single, I'll just do some pictures. So I think that's something that we're doing. Um, and then we carry that into even my new hire class. So when I started a company, I embed myself as if I am, you know, the learner, my team. And so we actually have, I started in May, we have May Misfits, a Slack channel. And so we even have our own separate happy hour. So it's these moments of like with our class and I didn't create it. There's this intimate communication. There's a safe space that we have. And then from there, we plan our own get togethers as well. That is so cool. I love that. And it sounds like you guys got a lot of happy hours. Yeah, a lot of happy hours, which everybody, you know, everybody works really, really hard. But it's a good moment to, again, create that safe space, do the bonding. So another example is, you know, buddy programs. But how can you really take that a step further? Because you need to have these connections, especially, again, everybody who started, you know, in the last three to four months has never physically, you know, been in the presence of their counterparts. And so to have the buddy programs as an additional person, you know, who's a subject matter expert has been here, knows the culture, lives the culture, but can infuse that and kind of give that feeling with the new hire, I think is something else that we're doing. Um, And beyond that, it's really creating just every opportunity that we can to have people working together and more importantly, cross like functionally. So, Mm -hmm. Again, with the new hires specifically in the onboarding, we give them opportunities to do group work. We mix them up. We try to not even have the same roles because we want people of different skill sets, different backgrounds to, you know, collaborate and work together uh, and kind of mixing that up as something else, you know, unique that we're doing to really try to build these bonding relationships. And as crazy as it may sound, I think people are likely... I mean, I felt very confident. They're more comfortable and feel more connected, even working remotely. And as I mentioned, new hire specifically, having never met their boss in person. So interesting. Yeah. And I think some of the things that we're finding is, you know, we do once a week, we have a big office wide event, you know, but that's, you know, between 40 and 50 people, but we're also finding ways to do smaller, you know, smaller group sessions. Uh, we did an online escape room, which was actually pretty cool. The, the website continued to crash. So like the actual escape room didn't really work that well, but in, in hindsight, like it's part of the joke now, right? Like it's yeah. part of like the, the, it's, it's kind of now hysterical and something that everyone uh, kind of laughs about, which is cool. So you mentioned onboarding. Um, and I think a lot of companies either, you know, look at their onboarding today and it's, again, it's, it's just another one of those things that's rapidly outrageously different than, than what it used to. So when, when you sort of were faced with, okay, we have to onboard in this new virtual remote environment, what was, what was maybe like your process or, or how did you approach the, the topic? Yeah. So uh, the interesting thing is because of when I, I started this shift actually went from that classroom training, right? So your whiteboards facilitator. Uh, and so that was kind of the number one priority for me coming in. And I actually have built onboarding programs um, that have been, you know, remote or maybe the first week is in person, but from a financial standpoint, you had to make the remaining for uh, three weeks in their first 30 days. And then obviously ongoing training was, was remote. So that's really where I came in and took the program that was already built and 
really dug into where moments that, you know, we can actually create the same type of environment, but really give this like blended learning experience. So even though I've done classroom training, there's always been a backup to it as well of some sort of online learning. And whether that be using an LMS system, we specifically use Lessonly or use other tools, you have to still go back to the fundamentals of no matter if you're remote or you're in person, adult learners or just learners in general need different ways of absorbing information. And so that's where, you know, we took the, you know, full program itself. Um, It's very transparent. That's one of the things that one of the new hires said. He was like, look, like this is one of the best programs I've been through. And I've been in sales for 20 years. And I, of course, love to hear that. Um, But I asked him why. And that was one of the things that he mentioned. He was like, I love the transparency and I love the blended learning because it is hard to just sit and listen to a facilitator all all day. It is hard. That was one of my challenges coming in. A lot of it was article like go and read all these articles. I myself as a learner got lost and got off track. And it was, I was, then all of a sudden I was like, oh my gosh, it's three hours in and I haven't even gotten through task number three. Um, I was still hungry to learn, but it was just not a controlled learning experience. So what we did with that was again, take it and put that online and know, doing videos, but then more importantly, doing exercises together. So that's where that kind of like teamwork comes in. Um, We also, instead of just doing a quiz online, we do live quizzes as a group and it's kind of like a round robin Um, and people, and it's interesting because the, it kind of puts you in this nervous state, but it actually motivated everyone to want to study. And we said, look, you can go look at it, the questions, uh, and we're actually using the tool as we're going through it. So that's a little, another advantage that we have is that with our platform, you're able, as you're learning the tool, you're using it as well. But what they loved about it was, you know, they were motivated to go and prepare for it. And then we would all do things together. And if somebody couldn't figure out what the answer was, depending on what the, you know, it was product training, then it was like a phone a friend and somebody else came in and then we were able to collaborate in the moment. And that was the other thing that beyond having a full transparency of what the schedule was, being thoughtful and mindful of not just having all things online, all facilitators. So again, having that blended learning experience and like giving them breaks, they know what was expected. Uh, they know what was gonna be covered, but then more importantly, giving them these opportunities to be quizzed, but in a more creative um, kind of group. I mean, I think the group element in small groups and then mixing people up um, has been a huge, like it, it's really expedited. I think the, the learning and again, going back to the culture of kind of building those relationships. I love all things you just said. <laughs> <laughs> All of the things, because one of, one of my biggest loves is, is education, right? And, and I always talk about this with, with Kevin and we talk about it often here, but I think one of the most interesting things about what you just said is, is realizing that adults learn in different ways. And I really love how you're enabling them through so many different mediums and with the differentiated instruction like that. Those are words that I typically hear in a classroom, but now I'm hearing them in a sales and a business setting, right? And I think the more people that hear things like this and they understand that learning, even for adults, is hard, 
right? So when you drop a bunch of grown men and women into a situation and they got to learn this new technology and then also have to deal with all these other things, it's like, yeah, no, your, your team doesn't understand any of what you just taught them in the last seven months. So like you're way behind. Yeah. Exactly. And I think a lot of it too is to your point, it's on our end as well um, to be adaptive. Like we have to know that the program is never going to be optimized, um, you know, beyond just your traditional, oh, we need to update this because our pricing has changed or the product has changed. Like as a whole, like we're as an enablement team, we're having one-on-ones with them, like asking, you know, how they're they're feeling after their first week, the second week, and what things you know did they were the most challenging, what things were the most enjoyable, and we take that feedback. Um, and they've been having office hours, like what questions are they asking, and we're in that moment in real time course correcting. So, putting it to back to us of how can we make this a better experience, and knowing that to be able to move forward, um, which that kind of even goes with your hiring, we could have easily put our plan on hold instead of hiring people, but we chose to move forward and adapt our, you know, our plan to really optimize. And that's the same kind of methodology and an approach we go at the entire program of itself is how do we continue to iterate, adapt, more importantly, to give the optimized onboarding experience. It, it's super interesting because you, you talked a little bit about the experience, which I think is, uh, not enough people really consider or think about like the onboarding experience. Um, but optimization is always going to be key. Is there, is there data or metrics that you look at to understand the, you know, how successful you are at onboarding, how effective the onboarding is, or how are you sort of, you know, what, what kind of data are you are using to figure out how to, or where to optimize? Yes. So again, being three months in, that was one of the things of looking back um, and we're actually building that right now. So again, happy to share some examples, um, but that's the biggest thing of, hey, let's even have a dashboard. Let's apply the same things, that transparency, that visibility and encouragement, right? So nobody should ever feel like they don't know where they're at. And so we're using that same that, you know, managers and leaders, the leadership team is using and we're replicating that uh, for everyone going through onboarding. So coming out of their first month, what, you know, what are the competencies? Like what's, what should we be able to see and how can we track it? So I'm actually building that with my counterparts right now. And that's all the way from certifications to how do we score? Are we all aligned on the scoring? So then we can anticipate any skill gaps. We can hand over this packet to their manager and say, Hey, during this outside of the, you know, just kind of the personality and kind of things that we know motivate them, um, potential areas to, to flag. So then they can coach, motivate, um, and really support, you know, every, everyone coming through the program um, that's customized to that individual. And beyond that, it's really, I want to be able to see and share with them as well, how is everybody pacing? So we're in the process of literally doing that right now, because, I mean, I asked myself one morning, I was like, I don't know how anyone in my class is actually doing until I see a deal come through. Um, but what are the other measurements that we can see with the other account managers, you know, sales engineers, the customer success, like, are we, we have to be able to do that and you have to be vulnerable and 
when you have those moments of holy crap, like we need this, um, it's okay, but you act. And again, you adapt and you do it quickly. And even if we have to go back and give that to the teams as well and say, Hey, we built this, like, it's not just for forward moving. It's also not necessarily course correcting, but making sure that you're giving the same experience to everybody who's still in ramp is why I mentioned going back to. I, I was going to say, I think that's super interesting because I worked at an ed tech company and one of the things that I learned the most about it was understanding exactly where each student was at every single point in time, right? So for example, you, you, you jump into a fourth grade class in Texas, right? You could see there's 10 kids, there's two of them below grade level, five of them are on grade level, and then you've got another three that are above, right? And so I'm curious on like what sort of things or, or I guess frameworks have you kind of thought about, right? Like, cause you got your top performers, your middle of the pack, and then your low performers, right? So have there been ways that you've tried to identify so that way, it, you could kind of say like, okay, for my low performers, these are some of the programs and activities that we do medium performers and then high performers. Cause I think if you do it that way as well, it's just like building a future framework that um, at least makes sense from my background, but I don't know if that makes any sense at all from outsiders. It makes perfect sense. And so I think that's the thing of making sure that we're aligned. And then also even outside of the sales team, so with everyone. So when you think about KPIs, are we backing into that? Are we communicating what those are beyond just what your ramp numbers are? Or, you know, if I'm customer success, if I'm doing tickets online, so how many tickets I get to. So it's first you have to define what those are. Everyone has to align on them. And also know that there's different things. So it can't, I mean, you want the data to drive it, but there's other things that as we're doing product training, uh, are they, are we missing questions? Is that the learner? And again, this is the adapting, or is that we didn't ask the question the right way instead of just saying, oh, they didn't do as well on that. Um, and so it's, it's kind of what are their job KPIs that they're measured on, but then also us really identifying, you know, how well did they work in group settings? Um, were they the you know, one who kind of took charge? Um, were they asking questions? Um, were they, was their style a little bit different? And how can we, again, through those one-on-ones, give a better experience? So, you know, I think to your whole point of you can't, I mean, you have to really define like what is that top, what is the low, but before you even get there. It's what are the things that we're looking for to really accelerate you know, the performance of this individual. And those are things you just have to tune into in their first week, second week, first 30 days. Because in my experience, you know, as a leadership team, no matter what role they're in, like, if you're not aware of those things, then your middle performer who could be a top goes to middle or maybe even low, low performance because we didn't anticipate and plan and act, you know, to avoid that. Um, but you're still going to have your top and your, and your low, but like, at least we can know, all right, Hey, like we're real this. I mean, they're just accelerated. They're going to get there. So, and if they're not, how can we buddy them with somebody that, you know, will really encourage um, and support them? That's interesting because, and, and Travis and I actually had this conversation recently and it, it was more so, it was sort of like the ugly side of sales leadership, right? And there's a lot of things that people don't, don't see or don't think of, right? And, and having to deal with 
poor performers and performance improvement plans. Like that's part of the job that, that really, really sucks. Right. Um, and this could be either at your, your current job or just your opinion in general within sales enablement, but does sales enablement play a role in say performance improvement plans and, and managing poor performers? Is it sort of a collaborative process with sales leadership? What, what's your sort of opinion on that? Yes. I mean, and this is where I, I'm very passionate and about enablement living under the revenue teams. So a lot of times people will even ask like, how is this different from like L and D or training? I mean, essentially we, at its our core, you know, the mission is, is still the same, but this is why I truly believe that sales enablement or client facing enablement um, should be a part of that growth because we have to be able to align with you know the sales side and what's motivating what's driving performance as so then we can build programs that that match that um, and then on the you know performance improvement plans um, also helping through data how can we support that so is this a group that we're seeing you know that's is there are there trends or is this an individual and that's where we have to be able to provide the resources and the tools, you know, to the leadership team. Now it's up to them, um, you know, to actually implement and to hold to it. But cause we're again, a small lean team. And when you have 150, just speaking of, on the sales side. So I 110% truly believe, um, and that's even another kind of phase that we're doing right now with the data. How can we, now that we're putting in leveling and, you know, we do have performance plans. How can we get ahead of this and do what we can? Because there's an investment in these individuals. Um, and, you know, we need to be able to provide the right training and right enablement to, to really anticipate, but then get in and, and support the leaders. I'm curious, like, I feel like this is, well, one, I just love this conversation because all of, these are all things I think a lot of people don't typically hear as it relates to building a sales team, building an organization focused on revenue, like how your people learn and how they grow is super important. And a lot of times Kevin and I talk about like how many individuals that have to go outside of their companies to get any sort of knowledge or guidance in these areas. Whereas like in, inside Monday, like you guys are building it internally um, as a function. So I, I really love that. And I, I'm curious to, to kind of hear from your perspective, like what were some of the, like, if we're stepping back for a second, like what are some of the, like the dream states for your organization um, as it relates to learning? Because I think if we can start to unpack what success looks like from a, like learning and growth development, um, no pun intended, addicted to growth here, but like, <laughs> I'd love to kind of lay a foundation that other companies can kind of think about like, all right, what's important. Like, I don't, I don't know anything about learning, like, and you're doing it, you're adapting, you're building a program as you fly. Right. Like I'd love to hear kind of what your best practices would be for other organizations that don't have something like this in place. Yeah. I mean, I think you start from the top again with the, with the data. So what are the, the KPIs and the other important thing, you know, for me, I said, there are cases, especially because we are remote, but people are working remote and, and online is also like digging into what their full process is. So do I understand for each role beyond just their expectations, where do they start and end their day? 
right? So this is where I go to our accelerator trainings where we get with the subject matter expert. And most top performers don't understand like what they fundamentally do that makes them a top performer other than I just do what I do. And I have to go in and to unpack that and say, walk me through your day. Why do you do that? And that's the other thing as well. And why sales enablement needs to be on, you know, speaking specifically for, you know, client facing um, top of the sales needs to be on that kind of growth or revenue team, because we have to understand when I sit down or I come out of training, what am I doing? And is every, whether it's a tool, whether it's product knowledge, whether it's pitch related, you know, do I understand how to do my job successfully? And has it been communicated to me what success looks like? So you have to define those, what those things are. Again, what's the knowledge? So kind of like pitch, um, the practice piece, the performance, like what are the expectations? And then outline, how do you get from A to Z? And then again, just adapting and modifying. Um, but that's where we have to be entrenched in the roles. Um, and, you know, my, my biggest thing is anytime that I can, like I'll either help on a sales call or when we were in the field, I wanted to go out and be a part of it as well. So then I could connect even asking to sell the product itself. Now that's not necessarily scalable right now, just because we have other priorities for myself, but um, I definitely even encourage as you hire enablement, start pulling other people from within the company into your team as well that have done these other job functions because they know what success looks like versus bringing in a lot of enablement or trainers um, externally. I'm so happy you said that. Like <laughs> I, I love when I hear whether it's enablement, whether it's especially um, you know marketing. You know we we've heard of that a lot. Um, even operations, right? Like, I, I think you you have to be able to as closely as possible, like walk in the shoes of, of your sales team, understand your customer, understand the customer needs, their problems. And then really, cause there's really no, there's no better way for you to understand how to make them successful or how to make them, you know, hit a certain performance metric, unless you're, you're doing it with them. And I think that that may be, do you see that as a big gap with, within sales enablement specifically, a lot of orgs are just too, still too disconnected. I think until you get to that, that point, I mean, everyone's probably been in that position where you start and you're either like handed a pamphlet or maybe there is no pamphlet. So it's also, that's my, the biggest piece from even when I, I did consulting for a year, it was a lot of the companies who were kind of in this, um, series a series b so kind of in this startup we're starting to scale um the biggest the number one question of how we got our clients was you know if you because a lot of times the leadership team or the cells if you left or you know your top performer left like what would happen and i'm like you have to have this documented. So I was like, can you share the, these assets with me um, and send them over? And that was this like aha moment. They were like, oh my gosh, we don't have any of this. And so I kind of went back to what would happen because you were a top performer. That's not why you're a manager now. So working with them to get all of this documented and then you have to submerge yourself in the day to day. So I've even I've been watching kind of the um, working with like SDR and BDR where it's a, a rep who's actually going through what their process is, but I'm on those calls to say, Hey, 
let's on the next session, let's actually go a little bit deeper. Cause even though you showed this learner, like what they needed to do, I didn't walk away really having the full direction of how to get to what the outcome was. So we need to continuously, like, are you inspecting what you expect? And it can't just be a documentation. I need to now actually act and do my job, but then having kind of somebody with that background of looking and saying, could I actually do this without additional direction? And that accelerated this learner's, you know, next day because he knew exactly what to do. He knew what was expected. And so I think that's the other thing too, of you need to have different lenses coming in and ultimately ask yourself, if you put yourself in that learner's shoes, could I go and demonstrate the behaviors or, and put this into practice? So that's the biggest thing is how do I walk away learning something and do I have enough confidence and knowledge to go put it into practice? And if I don't, then we got to go back and again, iterate on the training or have a follow-up session. Um, Cause if I can't, if I, it's great to learn, but if I can't walk away and actually apply something um, in my day-to-day job, then it's just another PowerPoint. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you don't want to start PowerPointing people to death for sure. Um, what I've found as well, I don't think salespeople are, are, typically are not very shy when it comes to communicating what they need to, you know, succeed or excel and, and do well within their role. Um, I've also seen that sales enablement conquer everything. So is there a good process that you have that helps you, you know, prioritize, here's all the requests, here's all the things that we could do but we have to boil it down to these, you know, maybe four or five major initiatives. What, what's that process look like for you? Yeah, that's a really good question. And, and definitely something, you know, beyond just building your onboarding program, it's, it's also asking to your whole point, you have to ask where, you know, where are you struggling? Um, or also where do you feel most confident? There's how we identify our subject matter experts, right? Um, and then also really digging into, you know, thinking about what the different topics are and sending out, you know, gauging kind of what's the sentiment around that topic. So I think it's kind of starting with the leadership team as well. Like where are we seeing the the biggest skill gaps? What are you coaching to? What's working? um, What's not working? And then from there, you know, also collecting feedback because people want to be heard. So it's, it's hard to build anything out if you're also not getting just the individual contributor feedback and getting their requests as well. And then from there, it's where do we see themes? Um, where, what's the data telling us? As well as, um, you know, who can we lean on to your whole point? I think that was on the, the call that we had where one of the sales leaders, you know, was struggling to bring content in. And it's like, nobody has you're not in this alone, right? So lean on your team, like challenge them to bring something to meetings, same principle around the subject matter expert, like they're empowered to be doing that. Um, And people are more willing to feel like vulnerable to ask or to admit where they're struggling or where they specifically need help, because it's their counterpart. I could sit there and say and do it and take them through a presentation, but it's more valuable if I help guide the conversation and empower this individual seller to help those that are on that call. So then again, they're not just walking away 
learning. It's I can put this into practice. And I love the fact that they used my example that I submitted in that form, right? And so that's the whole thing is you bring that FAQ to life versus a lot of times you'll do a training, your learning outcomes may be on point, but then you do a follow-up survey, do it before, embed it in, and then do a follow-up, you know, office hours of what else can we do, share successes after the training, like what did they put into practice that actually worked, and it's kind of just rinse, repeat. I love that. I I think the, I really love the putting what they just learned back into practice. Cause I think that's even one thing that Kevin and I talk about a lot here, even from just a podcasting perspective, it's like all the stuff that we learn on an ongoing basis. It's like, all right, let's make sure we take at least one thing from every episode and like try to do it or think differently about it or bring it up again. Because if we don't, then it's just going to sit there and the like, poof go away. Um, it's a, it's a huge thing. I'm a huge fan of like super learning and figuring out better ways to memorize information and just how to learn and pick up things quicker. And so one of the things that I always try to tell people, I'm like, you got to figure out a way to minimize the amount of junk you keep in your, in your head. Right. And so by Mm -hmm. putting something into action that you just learned, it becomes a part of your actual day and it becomes real, not just a thing you took notes on that a pre made you show up to. Yeah. Like it's, it's actually something that you can physically, and this is something we also try to do with our events. Like when you come to any sort of engagement interaction, every single time, at least if I'm involved or if Kevin's involved, it's like, we want to transform in you to do something different because of what you just learned um, with us. Right. And so it's like, if you continuously put these little things into action, then all of a sudden you're like, Oh wait, that's a whole new person. I don't even recognize Billy from last month. Like, mm-hmm. like yeah. Cause Billy was on his shit. Yeah, <laughs> Billy exactly. Was stuff done and then pre was making him right. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's where, I mean, even with this, I mean, I, I'm going straight to, I feel like we've, we've talked about a lot of really valuable topics, but I'm not giving something, um, which I don't know what that would look like. Happy to do, you know, a packet of some sort, but it's one of those things where, again, like how we even support the leadership team, give them a, like, see what's working, then give them a template of what are those best practices. So maybe it is their Monday morning meeting. Are they structuring it, talking about certain things, giving them this placeholder of, you know, here's where a sales rep can talk about, you know, give a tip or something. So that's the other thing too, is, you know, we can have have the death of meetings over and over again and talk about topics, but is there something tangible that I can take away and put into practice where I'm at? And even if it has to be lean, because you don't have an LMS system, you, you know, don't, you're not on a platform like monday.com. Like how else can I replicate this in my business and in my day to day? So it's just always has to go back to that. Can I have that practical application? You know, can I put this into practice tomorrow? And again, people can try to do it, but why not give you something? It's kind of like, you know, don't reinvent the wheel. So that's the biggest thing as well. It's like, how can we give you what you need to succeed and then iterate and adapt from there? We had a, we, it's so funny you say that because we recently, um, actually it's really not that recent as of anymore, but uh, we had a, a new general manager start in, uh, February and one of the super simple, but most impactful things she put in place was a meeting code. 
right? Like here's how to make your meetings super, super effective. I'm right. Just, I'm just not going to, but like super, right. Sounds, sounds super simple, super obvious, but the amount of meetings that, that occur that people put in 30 minutes, 45 minutes, an hour, they talk about stuff and then they walk away and there's no action. There's no follow-ups and there's no, it, it was just a great, it was just a conversation. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think like companies probably waste a ton of money, a ton of time on meetings that just don't go anywhere. Yeah. A lot of talking, not a lot of doing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I have a learning moment for everybody. I'm, myself, I'm throwing myself under the bus here. So I had one of these meetings and apologies to the sales enablement uh, team member that I got mad at when this happened, but I, I was a sales rep. Right. And we had, a, we had feet, right. So we would do marketing campaigns and then they would have feedback meetings, right? Like the enablement person, Hey, what did you learn? What went well? What didn't go well? Now this was like the third one I had said. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, if you guys can't tell, I'm an action taker. I'm like, if you tell me you want me to sit in an hour long feedback meeting, you best be sure that Travis is going to give you some feedback. Right? Yeah. So this was the third one and nothing changed. I was like, the program's still the same. I was like, my name's still on all these emails. I'm still, this is still the same. I know we're trying, but like, I, I, why do I got to sit here for an hour if you're not going to take the feedback? If we're not going to change. Yeah. And so it, on one end, like learning moment, like, hey, like if you're not changing things, like you might create, you know, angsty sales reps that like don't want to waste their time coming to a meeting. But then on the flip side, like, when you have an early person that's in this role that's trying to build a platform and a, a program from scratch, right? Like you can't be mad at her for trying to do her job. Yeah. So like learning moment for everyone, but also at the same time, I'm like, I've been in the meetings, but then I've also seen the other side where I'm like, Ooh, we didn't even have this set up yet. And I got mad at you, but now I'm like, sorry, I wish I knew this then, but that's why we're here now. Yeah. No, but Apri, you said a couple of words, or I've heard you say these words a few times uh, so far, but it's, it's action and adapt, mm. right? And again, it's, it's, it's less, again, it's a lot less words, but I think people, again, I think people just want to see action and they want to see constant optimization or evolution of the ideas or the programs, whatever the case is. That's what a lot of people are, are, are looking for. We know Again, I think if you get into startup world, people know what they're signing up for. And it's very much a, hey, we're going to figure this out together. Um, But I think people want to see that type of action and adapt um, throughout the process. Sales enablement, I think, is is also a function, a role, a job that's that's getting a lot more attention, a much bigger spotlight being brought to the service much, much more. What was it about maybe it's yourself, your personality. What was it about sales enablement that kind of drew you into it and, and kind of got you on this path of like, yup, this is where, where I want to be. Yeah. So, I mean, I would even say when I got into training and L and D, um, it was actually my boss at the time, uh, who Carlos, I'm still very thankful for him. He was the one who encouraged me to go out for the job. And I said, really, I, I don't, I don't know about that. He said, well, they want me to do it just because of, you know, my skill set. And, but unfortunately I couldn't do the travel. So I would be splitting between um, Georgia and Atlanta, being in Atlanta where we had a call center and then going to New York. And 
uh, he said, you know, I, I couldn't do that with a family. I said, well, he said, but a pre, irregardless of my, you know, not taking the opportunity, you do this, like this is ingrained in you. And I said, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, because ever since you started, like you got the top performers on the phone. Like one of them was like, you were, you would say, oh, you know, he was like, I got to go feed my kids. I'm like, okay, well, can you come back? You know, he said, but he's like, it was hard to take away that time, but she was so passionate. So I wanted, I was so eager to learn like what does success. So that's again, me just in jumping in and working with top performers, having them walk through. And then he said, also, even if you don't have the answer to something, or um, it's even something like somebody else is struggling with, or that we're talking about, he's like, you go and just find it and you're building training without really knowing it. And so I think that just thirst for wanting to figure it out, even if it didn't directly um, benefit me, but maybe indirectly because it was my counterparts. So he identified that. And that's where, again, fast forward, where kind of being an L&D training, the shift of, because I'm still essentially doing the same job that I started 15-ish years ago. Um, but the difference is it goes back to that practical application. So that sales enablement piece is fundamentally different. You're an extension of your recruiting teams, your L&D, like we should all be working together. However, I'm living in the process right? That day to day with them and then building programs to accelerate those workflows um, and still leveraging those other teams and their expertise as well. And so, you know, for me, it's, you have to have that vulnerability to even want to jump in and do the job or, you know, to dig into what the, the sales leadership team is doing. And without doing that, then you're just building kind of just a flat program, which this is again around that practical application. It's that pitch process. Like I know when I know what their day to day should look like, look like, and then really unpacking each individual and each team, um, you're just going to just continue to layer value and optimize any program that you build. Yeah, that's sales enablement to me. And I love when people ask me that question of what's the difference. I mean, at its core, we're still looking for the same outcomes. But it's the same thing as like when uh, marketing hands you, you know, a new deck, you got to salesify it, as I used to call it, right? Because we know the day to day, that's different from your HR recruiting L&D teams, like, they know what needs to be taught. However, again, it's that practical application of what I need to do like in my day to day that we're submerged in on sales enablement or client facing enablement. Yeah. I mean, honestly, it sounds like a theme from another a few leaders that were also on here. It's this idea that like sales enablement, it's not like it's standalone thing. It's like embedded. It's almost, a, it's a piece of the DNA and that's how a lot of them have been kind of describing it similar to, to what you just mentioned. Right. So I think it's, I think the shift is already happening, at least with the, the innovators that we have on the show. Like you like it. You're not like, oh, we sit here. It's like, no, no, no. We are up in the core of the org without us. Like it's a wrap for y'all. Yeah, I, I'm with you, man. I think I think revenue revenue is a team sport. Right. And I think having these like silo departments are going to be like more and more dissolved. Right. Like I think it's going to be a lot less of throwing headcount and quota at growth. And it's going to be a lot more at support, like the supporting oh, cast. Wow. We're so mm. dumb, bro. We're so dumb. Why we don't yeah. be called revenue. Yeah. 
I'm serious. It's gonna be called revenue, and this is and this is my prediction why. It's like think about what we've been <laughs> talking so dumb. about. Every single person. What what was the last series about? Revenue driven marketing. Mm-hmm. Revenue driven enablement. Like everybody's like rolling up to revenue sales marketing. What are they focused on? Revenue. Why don't we just call it the revenue team? Yeah. Well, it's all an extension. Like the best compliment or question that I can that I am asked is what do you not do? Mm. And the reason for that is because I'm working with legal counsel because they don't know salespeople and salespeople don't know them. And they only meet at this intersect speaking of revenue when something's at, you know, procurement or, you know, red lines and there's a lot of emotion and frustration and that pisses a lot of people off, but I know the sellers themselves. So I can say, Hey, that's not how she meant to come off. And this is where contextual conversations you have to be wary of. And like I said on the last call, pick up the damn phone. But (laughs) I was able to like look at both sides of it. And then also if they're legal, like they don't use the tools that we have. So also making sure that they knew how to anticipate what was coming down the pipeline. Same thing with your biz ops or sales ops teams. Yes, you're building this because in your mind, this is where your technical expertise comes. But do you know what this ends up transforming into in their day to day? And so that's where, but if I don't know what that day-to-day is, I can't then go back. It's the same reason of when we started using iPads in the field, I went and tested it. So then I got the actual, I closed, you know, the most on the iPad. And then I, I of course got a high cause I'm still a seller, you know, at my core, um, you know, from that, but I was able to then think about how do we redo our training? How do we make this process better? How can we, so it's, you, I mean, that again, going back to what do you not do? Like, I have to understand how all the different, you know, cross-functional departments work to support. And that's how you're going to best streamline your workflows and just cross-functional like department relationships. That's the, pick up the damn phone. I love that. <laughs> the, no, it, so you said something earlier about um, building the programs with your people. And it's interesting because all the community builder friends that I have all talk about building things with your people, right? And you sitting in with your reps when they're going through their day-to-days, asking them how they do what they do, why they do what they do. Why, yep. Like, these are all things that at its core, I'm like, wait a minute, these, like revenue, like build with your people. Like these simple themes, I think, companies need to simplify it a lot. And yeah. like starting with build whatever you're building with your people, start there and make sure you're focusing on revenue. Like that, build, yeah. that's it. Like there's no epiphany here. It's like, no, like you take the companies that are doing it well, talk to their people often. Mm-hmm. That's it. It's like the reason you're not doing well is because you don't know what your rep is doing. You've got a, a manager that manages 25 reps in all different places in the country. And it's like, all right, how, how is he organizing or she organizing their day to create contact with those groups of people over the week? Right. So like if it's like, yeah, bro, I know you don't talk to every one of your reps every day. I know you don't. So stop lying. Like you, you it, unless you have it to where you build in moments like, all right, I know I talked to these reps on this day. This is a group session where we all do training, right? And break it up to like, you know, five, this group, 10, this group, smaller one-on-ones as needed. 
but that's like when it comes to how the, the org structured, like how the company's made up. So I'm ranting now, but point being, simplify. get on your rant, get on it. Simplify <laughs> and build with your people, damn it. Like, yeah. It, well, it's, I, that's, I'm like, I don't know. I feel like it's not that hard, but then when I see people messing it up, I'm like, yo, where, yeah. yo come here. But the most meaningful thing that you can build, and you just nailed it, is like, it's what are you doing? So have your one-on-ones, but then it's that whole mindset of like, inspect what's going on. So this is again, that top performer. Well, I just work these, you know, leads this way because I'm excited about them. I'm like, nah, bro, I'm like Diego, that ain't gonna work. <laughs> I'm like, I, I didn't get any, I love that. I'm glad you're excited about it. I was like, but that I, I didn't, I can't take anything from what you just said. I said, pull up your screen, walk me through what you do. And then I say, why? So that's the most important thing. And he goes, Oh, I didn't even think about that. I didn't even think about it. I go now take me to where you got that. And that's the reason why the training was 10 times, you know, like, like praise because people are like, I was able to take that and literally go do it. And, or, you know, put that email template into practice that he has saw, you know, 40%. Cause that's the biggest thing. They're all like, a lot of times people will go and replicate, right? Cause some things are very transparent. Oh, I can go use their email campaigns, but there's something fundamentally that he does and digging into that. Why maybe just changed one word or one thing he looks at that informed that, but I would know that just going and looking at the email if I was, you know, a new hire. So that's where I, you continuously dig in, have them walk through. Same thing with struggles. Walk me through, like, where are you getting caught? You know, if we know that it's this part of the sales process, inspect, what are they doing before? What was missing from that? Are they even approaching it the right way? But you can talk about it, but when you actually show and you dig into it and you ask why, you know, what, like, what informed the decision to do that? That's where you find your golden moments. Uh, best practices that are applicable. And then you find major gaps, whether that be a tool, whether it be, you know, just somebody not understanding that they had this other resource um, as well, like not assuming that everybody learned everything and is doing it the right way. Yeah, I know. I love, I love this. Um, I think like one of the biggest things I think, well, one, thanks so much for this conversation. Cause I, I've learned. Thank y'all. One, um, where can people connect with you if they want to learn more about your learning um, passion and all things um, sales enablement um, related? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I think the easiest thing is to, to go to, to LinkedIn. I'm always open to taking requests. I'm, one of my challenges that I'm, I'm going to hold myself accountable for uh, in this next month is really putting together. Like if I had to hand over, you know, looking at the best practices, what can I hand over? And maybe it's even a future podcast or we can even do, you know, some different events, but exactly just something. And it's like, and here's what I do or giving examples because again, we can talk about it, but I want to make sure that I'm giving examples of this. The application. application. (laughs) I know it's like hard for me (laughs) because we're all passionate about it. We're all like, it's stoked about the conversation, but I'm like, I I want to give something. So that's my challenge. Um, So I'll be better at answering that question the next time. (laughs) Y'all heard it first, challenge accepted. We'll have to figure out a way to collaborate on some sort of piece or, or something. Thanks for listening to Addicted to Growth. If you learn something new, don't be shy. Let people know. The best way to learn a new skill is to practice. Day in and day out. Go execute something you just learned this week with your community. 
Until next time.